You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. <laughs> Welcome to Real Vision. It's Tuesday, January 5th, 2021, just after 2 p.m. in New York. This is the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Ash Bennington. It's TG Tuesday. I'm joined shortly by Tony Greer. But first, with the day's stories, Haley Drasnan. Hey, Ash. Let's get to it. Tuesday is an important day for markets. It's election day in Georgia, again. Today's two runoff races will determine which party controls the U.S. Senate, and the markets are paying close attention. On Monday, equities suffered their worst start to a year since 2016, but today stocks traded higher, retracing some of yesterday's sell-off. The question is, are the markets anticipating a divided Congress? So that means one Republican would have to win, and we know historically markets perform better in a divided Congress or when the two houses of Congress are occupied by different parties. Right now, the GOP Senate margin is 50-48 if both Democrats win, something that hasn't been done in the Senate in two decades. It would shift the balance of power in the Senate to an even 50 seats for each party. Vice President-elect Kamala Harris would then serve as the tiebreaker once she's sworn in. Democrat John Ossoff is running against Republican Senator David Perdue, and Democrat Raphael Warnock is running against GOP incumbent Kelly Loeffler. Republicans obviously didn't expect the historically red state to flip blue in the presidential race, but a win by Democrats in this runoff for the Senate would allow for more ambitious spending programs once President-elect Joe Biden enters the White House, like additional stimulus, which could potentially give equities another leg up. But it would also make corporate tax hikes more likely and increase regulatory risks for banks, tech companies, and the energy sector, which is also weighing on markets. We could see some aggressive selling if there is this blue wave. Markets could react negatively, but it's hard to predict given they're up today. Financial narratives, of course, are fickle. Historically, as I noted, we see that a divided Congress is good for stocks. But the narrative before the election was the exact opposite, that a Republican Senate victory would be like a doomsday scenario for stocks as no stimulus would get passed. A blue wave narrative was booing stocks from late August until right before the election, and that's why we saw a crash after the election as well. I should note that Democrats taking the Senate could also mean a greater convergence of loose fiscal and monetary policy, which could have negative implications for U.S. Treasuries and the dollar, but then again, that would be good for, for stocks. Anyways, we'll all be glued to our TVs tonight. Back to you, Ash. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Thanks, Hallie. Welcome back, Tony. 
Thanks, Ash. Great to be here today, man. You know, Tony, the first day back of the new year, it's usually this sort of like quiet, thoughtful, meditative look ahead. That's not going to be this one. Too much happening. Too much going on, man. I can barely contain myself today, Ash. I'm actually strapped into this chair right now. You can't see it. But uh, yeah, there's a lot going on, right? There's a lot going on outside our window. So what are you looking at that's got you strapped down? Oh, dear. Um, You know, the inflation story that we've been discussing is transpiring in spades on our screen right now. Um, It was super encouraging to me to walk in yesterday, first day of the year, and see the Bloomberg Commodities Index breaking out through a long-term descending trend line. Those are the kinds of things that traders like me salivate over. So we started the year off with that. Behind it, we had you know an oil rally, a nickel rally, a big metals rally, gold coming back to life as an inflation hedge. Um, so that was the start of the week, and it kind of ran face first into a little bit of equity liquidation. Right. It looks like we came into the start of the year with the UK on lockdown and, you know, the books had been marked for the last moment. And now everybody's just kind of hitting those first cash bids that they see uh, to lighten their books, maybe. And I understand that. Uh, But what they are selling into is an absolute ferocious natural resources grab that's going on right now. And that's finally what we've been talking about in terms of these are going to be the ramifications of the dollar getting mangled and money supply exploding and all of these new events that we've had because of the lockdown response, they're yeah. finally translating into the markets, Ash, and, and commodities are coming up in spades every morning. You wake up, you turn on your screen, and at the top of my leaderboard is a three sigma rally in pick a commodity, corn, oil, soybeans, you know. That's why it's most encouraging because it's all coming together as we speak right now. Yeah, it's like Tony Greer's greatest hits out there. What are you looking at as your key bellwethers to determine that on the commodity side? Good question, Ash. Um, uh, you know, for my confirmations that I'm always looking for, you know, I'm kind of standing in the ring looking around to make sure that the stimulus affecting the securities I'm trading is confirming my biases and my beliefs. This morning, I was sitting here waiting for ISM manufacturing, um, you know, over a jelly donut and a nice iced coffee, and it comes out 60.7 versus 56.8 expected, and I start spitting the donut out of my mouth just because that's what happens when you're like, oh, my God, they have no place to go now but buy more commodities, right? And so now we've got, because of that number, and I think also because the ISM price is paid number at 77.6. That's not inflation is coming, Ash. That's inflation happened. They're paying the price for it, and that price is now going to get passed down the line. So the ISM manufacturing number today is a a key linchpin, like you say, to, to the backbone of my ideas. You know, we've got manufacturing recovery in place. The Federal Reserve is still inflating assets at the pace of $120 billion a month. We've got the Dow Jones ripping through 30K and the Bitcoin ripping through 30K. So we've got an actual inflationary and liquidity bonanza on our hands right now. Yeah. Tony, I know this is a tough question, but how do you parse that in terms of understanding what percent is asset inflation uh, and what is being driven by organic consumption? Well, you know, asset inflation, you know, put it this way. Let me let me translate this a little bit into my terms, if I will. I'm I'm gonna look for headline inflation, right? I'm going to look for the headline CPI, PPI numbers to start showing up closer to 2% and maybe through there very quickly. 
um, because this is a sort of let the genie out of the bottle and then you've got to keep a close eye on it because you can't put the genie back in the bottle. So, you know, I'm looking for headline inflation to creep up toward 2%. It was interesting today, just while we're on this topic, side note, we had Morgan Stanley come around from seeing roughly no inflation to warning their clients on headline inflation in the last 24 hours or so. So that was encouraging for me to see. Um, perhaps most importantly, though, Ash, the Bloomberg Commodity Index is the thing that's sending off the alarms to me, right? Like the commodity sector is taking turns rallying for different reasons, whether it's oil rallying because of, for example, today what's going on with OPEC, where OPEC reaches a deal to keep the last production cuts, excuse me, last hikes in place. And then Saudi Arabia turns around and does a production cut of their own, cutting a million barrels a day. So we've got that pushing oil up to $50 today. On other days, you've got monetization stories that are just ha that just have portfolio managers grabbing for base metals and precious metals. So you'll wake up and you'll see copper leading that morning and you'll see Freeport McMoran have a monster day. Then you'll see iron ore break out and you'll see the steel stocks bounce. So you know, I'm trying to angle my portfolio now to get a little bit more of a hold on that inflation trade as it translates into specific securities and specific sectors of the commodity markets. But for me, Ash, that's what I'm always trying to true up. Um, you know, I want to see the CPI and PPI numbers start to catch up to the commodity rally that I'm seeing. And I think that once you get a number like 77.6 ISM prices paid, I think that's a losing, alluding to the fact that end producers are happy to pay up for their input commodities right now. Yeah, I mean, I've got whiplash here. WTI trading above 50 bucks a barrel. Uh, what was it, six, eight months ago, we had negative prints on this? I mean, it's dizzying. It's like the time of COVID has accelerated our time horizons. That we're, We don't even bat an eyelash to think about swings like this. It's extraordinary. Ash, we can, we can put it in one perspective and say oil is almost up $100 from the March lockdown low print of minus 47 or whatever that crazy print was that day, right? So, right. you know, oil's traversed $100 range. It has had naysayers all the way, which for me has made it all the more exciting to be long when everybody's piling into uh, the TAN solar ETF and the PBW alternative energy ETF and most recently into that. Um, ARK is a disruptive innovation ETF, ARKK it may be. But, you know, these to me are the tech sectors that are getting, you know, that are falling, that are getting the last bits of capital, you know, chasing their political plays. And then what's happening is the reality is that the natural resources market is actually what's percolating right now for a number of reasons. Yeah, ARKK, ARK Innovation ETF. You know, Tony, that you anticipated my next question, which is with that as prologue, how are you positioning yourself right now to play this? Well, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I think that 2021, I think that we're heading into a year where we're going to have a change in value, that the market is going to really exhibit a change in what it values. I think that it's going to value tech stocks a lot less than it did last year because of the lockdown and because I think the market's going to look past the lockdown eventually this year. Um, so I think that we're in a turning where technology is going to be out of favor and natural resources are going to be in favor. What, what's wild to me, Ash, is that you know even after this huge commodity rally that we've seen, I keep saying to myself, it just got started. And as I go over last year's data in some of my reports, you know, even after that huge commodity bounce off the bottom, the Bloomberg Commodity Index, index ended the year down like 
right? So we're due to have a year this year, I'm guessing, where the Bloomberg Commodity Index is up 25% and it's led by oil and base metals and gold and now grains. You want to talk about grains for a minute, Ash, and this is a market that I've held off really from trading since I was manning the Goldman Sachs Commodities Index book because grains are very difficult to trade and they're very risky and they're very volatile. And if you're not a specialist, you're likely to get run over. But from a macro perspective, we have come off an eight-year stretch where the grains index, Bloomberg Commodities Grain Index, if you will, has settled in negative territory and sometimes very deeply. And we just came out of it with the grain settling up 18% on the year. We're cruising along above all the moving averages. We've got problems with the next crop that's coming out, and we've got massive international demand. So I'm trying to guess if this isn't a 10-year turning point in grains where, you know, from getting beaten up over the last eight years where they start rallying as the trade turned, uh, the trade tables around the world start to change and grain suppliers start selling to different people and demand starts coming from different places. So if that's part of the commodity trade, I want to figure out how to latch on to more soft commodities as I think I've blown my brains out being an oil bull. I'm kind of tired of telling people that I've been bullish for $20 now. And, you know, base metals, we've been there. So now we've been there and we're trading and we're expressing that in our note. So, Ash, for me, it is confirmation that this inflation is really, really happening, that banks are coming around to it. And that's going to drive investment in inflation hedges, if not flat out commodity grabs and trying to sort of fill in the spaces of the commodity space that I have no exposure to yet. And grains is next on my list. I'm, I'm patiently waiting for a dip and right now plotting out how I'm going to get into that. But just in case this is a 10-year trend change, I'm going to be there. Yeah. Tony, you're talking about nothing short than a major regime shift, something that we haven't seen now uh, since uh, since the, uh, the, the, the end of the great financial crisis. Uh, the run-up that we've seen, uh, obviously, central banks uh, pouring on the liquidity, expanding their balance sheets, uh, fiscal policy acting to stimulate. You say inflation is here. Yeah, you know, and, and it's been easy to call as a commodity. Like, I'm a perpetual commodity bull. I'll just raise my hand and confess that right now. I don't like getting caught short commodities, so I look to play them from the long side. But my point is, you know, we just spent a year chasing technology stocks up a flagpole because of the lockdown because of the position that they were in during the lockdown, right? All five FANG companies plus Microsoft and several others, you know, Zoom, Peloton, were all built for success during the lockdown. We're eventually going to get to the end of that, right? The UK has now slapped the lockdown on until February. And, you know, I, I just don't know that this is going to, I don't think that that would last here. If, for example, if we tried to throw a national lockdown mandate on, I think we're too close to the other side. So if we're going to get through that, and Ash, when I look at the fact that, you know, money supply has been growing at, you know, a single digit percentage for the last 10 years, and it just grew for 25% last year, I'm going to bet that the ramifications of that have not fully made their way through the markets yet. Right. And I think, yeah, and I think that that's where I'm getting confidence now that this inflation trade that we position for, it's just starting. Right. And so, you know, we've got copper going up through 8K. We've got gold testing 2K, Bitcoin going berserk. I mean, this is inflation hedge paradise right now. 
Yeah. You know, I would add to that. It's interesting. Obviously, uh, the counter case for that is always uh, when people talk about the expansion of the money supply, uh, the counter case that someone always raises is that there has not been a commensurate rise in the velocity of the M2 money stock. Uh, right now, I'm looking at the chart from Fred. It's the M2 V series. Uh, you know, it's at about uh, it's still it's still below one point two. Uh, the the longer term average is uh, is close to two percent uh, all in. It looks like since 1960. I'm just doing the rough math in my head, but that trend is actually accelerating. It's changing. That there's a there's a pivot moving upward now uh, on velocity, suggesting potentially uh, that maybe this might be a precursor of something else to come. That's right. I mean, my read, and I could be wrong because I'm not an economist, my read on the velocity of money slowing down is because of the economic lockdown that's going on and people don't really have a place to go to spend their money. I mean, tra travel and entertainment largely shut down. Makes sense to me that the velocity of money is going lower for the moment, but you're going to still have to explain that 60.7 manufacturing PMI print that went on this morning that says that the industries are, you know, they've moved on. They are filling their tanks, filling the railroad cars with commodities and shipping them off to the people that ordered them. You know, so I'm, I'm going to. And, and I, you know, no disrespect to the Fred charts or anything like that, but my velocity of money measurements are out there in the market. And when I look at Tesla up 700% last year and Bitcoin up 300%, you know, you can put any of the history books in front of me you want. That's a measure of the velocity of money for my purposes right there. Yeah, extremely, extremely well said. And and like I said, uh, that has inverted direction. It is moving up now. So we're going to have to keep an eye on that too soon to tell. Uh, but you're absolutely right. What we're seeing in asset markets uh, clearly belies uh, some of the charts that we are seeing uh, from a macroeconomic standpoint. Absolutely, man. You want to, I mean, you want to just go over the tail of the tape today. I mean, we have a four sigma rally. We have a seven sigma rally in oil, right? This is not something that goes on every day where oil goes up 10%, right? And this is this is Saudi Arabia blasting it through $50, if you ask me. We have a four sigma rally in soybeans and the Bloomberg Commodity Index, three sigma rallies in lumber, Brent crude oil, heating oil, and gasoline, two sigma rallies in platinum and corn, and the Aussie dollar in a two sigma rally making new highs, providing tailwinds along the way. I mean, this is velocity of money right here, man. Yeah, I, obviously, this is something I didn't know off the top of my head. I'm just Googling this as you're talking. Uh, but Saudi oil production exports, it looks like it's about uh, it's about the numbers I'm seeing are between 11 and 12 million barrels per day. So you're talking about nearly a 12 percent haircut here. That's a substantial, substantial reduction in export capacity. Absolutely. And this is kind of this speaks to what I said, Ash. When OPEC gets oil on the run, they don't necessarily show up with supply, right? Sometimes they will tighten supply because that will get oil to the next level, through the next technical level, through the next psychological barrier. And I think it was hard up until this moment for portfolio managers to conceive even buying oil for anything other than covering a short below $50. And now we're going to see it sit above $50 is my guess for several days and maybe keep traveling right through that price. Mm. And all of a sudden it adjusts everybody's psyche to, oh, okay, well, maybe I was wrong about oil going back to $25 because of lockdowns or because of coronavirus or something educational, obviously, you know, something inst intellectually lazy like that, right? Let's look at what's actually going on. Oil, China demand is increasing. Saudi Arabia is trying to tighten up the taps and they're trying to get the price higher for their own economic well-being, if you ask me. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that in this free global economy, the way that it's operating right now. So, 
you know, you're going to have players and different players getting leverage. You're going to start to see rails with pricing power in this big commodity grab. And you're going to start to see that sector lead the transports. And then we're going to get back to that, um, you know, that period of time where we can eventually talk about getting back on a plane again. And, and for me, that's sort of the next level of the trade. Because in my opinion, the Federal Reserve is not going to stop their 120 billion a month pace just because you and I can get on a plane and go visit somebody, right? It, it, there, that seems to that pace seems to be impervious to what's going on in the markets. I mean, we just said, saw the last FOMC with the Dow going through 30k and every global PMI above 50. Jerome Powell comes out with a straight face and says, "120 billion a month. It's going to continue." Right. And it's like, well, what, what are we addressing at this point? What is that addressing? You know, yeah. so that, it that's, to that's feel, policy. Yeah, it starts to feel, Tony, like this. It just got this central bank policy has a logic of its own. Right. It just has a logic of its own. It seems to be moving in a way that is, you know, not just closely tracking uh, markets or, or even the economy. It seems to have its own logic. I don't seem to understand it. Uh, I feel like people who claim to understand it may be kidding themselves. How about we're moving into an era where they're going to start taking responsibility for climate change, right? We've got a new green foundation or something or other. I'd have to look it up again, but that the Federal Reserve just joined, and it's a consortium of central banks that are going to use their policy in ways that will you know, save the world from the climate crisis. And if you think that their policies have gotten difficult to understand or at least draw the logic path between what they're doing and what's going on in the markets and the world, it's going to get even more difficult to draw that logic path line when they start addressing climate with economic policy. That's going to be tricky. Yeah. I mean, not just economic policy, but monetary policy. Monetary policy. Yeah, excuse me. Better said. that, and, and that's my point is that we are now going to be using that to address something completely invisible that we can't control anyway. Yeah. You know, so it's going to be really, really hairy to see how this plays out. But I feel like what they're doing is they're just building in room and reason to attack the next economic boogeyman. Right. Eventually, we're going to get the people that lost their jobs to COVID, hopefully back to employment stature, and the Federal Reserve is going to need their next excuse to keep buying $120 billion a month. So we'll see what happens in that uh, vein, but it's a close enough story to watch, and I think that the markets are now taking um, control and sort of putting things in the Fed's direction, and it's going to be their job to control them from there. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yeah, we're going to watch it closely. And that's definitely a conversation that we're going to keep having here. I'm curious to shift gears here a little bit. Uh, something that you didn't mention too much, uh, you know, 1.5% decline in the uh, S&P 500, 1.5% decline uh, in the NASDAQ yesterday. I take it you're not terribly impressed with that price move. Well, you know, I was I was prepared to see, you know, when, when we had the early signs of an outside day yesterday where the markets came in frothy at a new high and went negative pretty quickly. You know, yep. you start to look. You'll start to look around the tape for reasons outside of the market why that might be happening, right? It could be something that's going on in Washington. It could be something that's going on with the Georgia elections. It could be yeah. something going on. 
I don't know, maybe the world is scared that Jack Ma's been missing for a couple of months. I don't know what it is, but something got into the psyche yesterday at the highs, caused people to hit some bids, right? So we are going to be walking into this and facing this nonlinear path, Ash. But I think in the end that we're going to wind up in the same place, and that's at the Federal Reserve reflating assets. Yesterday's sell-off, we had a minus 1,500 low on the tick index. That wasn't a very terribly, um, you know, a terrible extreme to contend with. I would imagine that if there's going to be a two or three-day sell-off, that it would probably happen quickly right in a row. Today, we've got the commodity markets turning around and rescuing things a little bit. So I think it's just going to be a question of being in the right place in the rotation for the new year, Ash. I'm still a believer that it's going to be a commodity-driven rally, like they just took the ball and ran with it today after yesterday's sell-off. And I think the tech stocks are going to struggle to perform you know, uh, much better than they did than when everybody was locked in their house for a long time with no certainty on the other side. So that's what that's how I'm kind of looking at the world big picture is commodity less in favor in 2021 natural resources must own bid only trading. Mm. You know, you mentioned the Georgia uh, Senate runoff. What are your thoughts there? I'm afraid of them. I don't know. You know, if this is going to tip it, tip the um, House to a blue sweep like they were originally anticipating and give Dems control of the House and Senate, you know, it. it puts President Biden, President-elect Biden in a much stronger position. I don't know if that's necessarily negative to stock market, though, because they're likely to employ more stimulus rather than less, right? So I'm going to look, keep looking at the Federal Reserve for my cues on the market. Mm. You know, um, either way, no matter how the Georgia runoff goes, I mean, I don't think the market has it priced in yet because I don't think the market knows the answer yet. So that's we right. May have a, we, you know, we may have a little bit of volatility coming out of it. But I am going to stand firm on my idea that, you know, the Fed is inflating assets and that if you don't have them, you're going to have a major problem. Yeah, it keeps coming back to that point. By the way, you mentioned President-elect uh, Biden. Who knows what he's really rooting for? I've, I've joked about it on this show uh, that he may, uh, he may actually be hoping for Republicans to hold the Senate because it gives him a lot of air cover uh, with the hard left wing of his own party to say, guys, I agree with you. I'm on your side. I got to negotiate with Mitch. Uh, and so it's a really interesting time. Obviously, there are just a tremendous number of moving parts. Uh, and exactly as you said, this is something markets have not gotten priced yet uh, because there's just simply no answers to those questions. I saw uh, Frank Luntz a couple of hours ago in a CNBC story that got published online, uh, basically saying that, uh, you know, Frank Luntz, of course, if you don't know, is a very long uh, established and well-respected Republican strategist, Republican pollster uh, coming out today saying the Republican Party is basically committing Harry Carey. They're on the brink of civil war. Uh, they are throwing themselves off the face of a cliff. Uh, and the, the Republicans themselves uh, are going to cost themselves the majority in the Senate because it's there's every indication that this election uh, down in Georgia is going to go against them. Could very well be, man. And like I said, you know, I'm not I don't want to get in the way of things that I can't control politically. I just want to make sure that I can sort of see what's coming and trade them after they happen, Ash. Um, I'm going to leave it at that. I'm going to leave it at that. It's certainly a sticky situation between D.C. and Georgia right now. I think that's probably why that, you know, um, we hit the panic button a little bit yesterday. Yeah. You know, th there's there's a few uncertain outcomes, I think, that we're going to have to uh, wade through. Right. Um, but I'm, I'm really I, I was concerned that they were going to affect the commodity markets and they've affected the commodity markets sort of really positively. And so I'm trying to take my cues from that and let that be the alarm that's ringing in my ear and sort of 
put Washington on a little bit more of a um, noise cancellation policy, if that's fair. You yeah. Know, until you know, until we get through all this and things are settled, and you know, I I, I don't think that there is going to be you know a direct threat to the election outcome. And as long as that's the case, we probably don't have to worry about a massively dislocating event in the stock market, right? So if we could just get through this next couple of days and sort of inch toward inauguration day and get all of this behind us, I think markets are going to be crystal clear to read and play for the rest of the year. And that's not to say that they're all going to go up, but I think you know the spaces that we're talking about that that I'm getting positioned for for 2021. Yeah. So speaking of positioning, let me ask you the nuts and bolts question. Obviously, we have these, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, an overhang, uncertainty, whatever the phrase is uh, right now. Obviously, here we are, January 5th, runoff election going out to January 20th with inauguration. How do you position yourself? Do you trim your sales a little bit or is it still full speed ahead with a bigger picture thesis? Man, that's a great question, Ash. It's something that I've been wrestling with for a couple of days. And, you know, I'm caught a little bit between wanting to feed the froth and the frenzy because, you know, when commodity prices are at a certain price, that's advantageous to you and you don't act. Most times you're very sorry about that, you know, but I also have ringing in my head one of my old mentors that tell me never sell the first day of a breakout, you know, and to me, it feels like the Bloomberg Commodity Index after having a flat year last year, after you know seeing massive volatility and digging into a new low with oil going negative and all that i'm still positioned and waiting to see the bloomberg commodity index have eye popping numbers on the upside same thing with crude oil crude oil was down 25 or 30% on the year last year after a $25 rally off the lows so as i wrestle with it i try to Keep in mind the bigger picture and stick to my guns. But what I do do, Ash, is raise my stop losses a lot closer to the market. And mm -hmm. as the trade seems to get more crowded around me and sentiment builds up around me, that's when I have my stop losses as close to the market as they could possibly be. And remember, now they're all take profit trades because we're following these up with our length. And... At some level, I'd be happy to just cash out while the market is still buying into the buy commodity story. But I'm not there yet, Ash. I'm not there. I, I really feel, you know, this grain. There are two things in my mind. You know, this M2 having such a big jump and the fact that the velocity of money is still being held back by the government. I think once that lets go, then there'll be there might be a bigger commodity chase coming when we start to see headline inflation. Do you know what I mean? Like we may be chasing oil through 60 and copper through 10K when 2% CPI hits. And I want to make sure that I'm long for that, having done all this work at the lows, you know? So for now, in the natural resources trade, I'm a sort of hold strong, but bring, bring those take profit levels up below the markets way closer to last sale so that we're locking in profits if the market starts to turn. It's, it's I guess it's an attitude and a belief that kind of changes over time once you get something right, Ash. Pretty good place to be. Happens every once in a while. <laughs> you know? Uh, Tony, I have a feeling we're going to have a very interesting 21, uh, 2021 here to have this conversation about again and again in different ways, especially on the commodity side, uh, which I know you're watching so closely. As we come to an end here today, what are the most important things that people need to understand as they think about this uh, for 2021? And what should they be watching? Whew. That's a great question, man. You know, I, I, I feel like I get repetitive when you ask that, 
But, um, you know, we've got to be Fed watchers. And, and I don't want to use the same language over and over, but we've still got to be pretty pretty clear Fed watchers. And we've got to be, you know, central bank watchers. And I think a new development that happened this week was, you know, the ECB came out and said, you know, that they're going to begin addressing climate change, et cetera, et cetera. And so, like, you know, you get these new wrenches thrown in the works and you want to see how these storylines develop. Right. This is the new thing for me is that as we come out of COVID, that central banks have begun discussing addressing climate change with monetary policy. So that's sort of the looking forward studying that I'm doing now, while the inflation that's occurring right now is something we've been waiting for. Right. So that trade is happening before our eyes. So I think it's kind of looking forward to see if their Fed is going to be able to maintain credibility with the story that they're just going to have a stiff upper lip and continue buying all these assets every month, even as the economy improves and markets go higher. So until we get to a point where somebody pops that balloon or pops that wealth dividing balloon idea with something else, I'm going to say that reflating the S&P and the mode that the Federal Reserve is doing it is going to work. And I'm still hawking the economic data like an economist geek lately, looking for signs of real inflation. I really am, you know, because I think that to me is the next opportunity is when we do get to 2% headline inflation, where are the prices of commodities? Gold might be 3000, copper might be 10K, crude might be 65, right? So I want to make sure that I've got something in the tank for that to make a sale up there. At the same time, stay sort of nimble and make sure that I'm in the right areas, right? We've got the oil market covered, base metals covered. I'm lacking grain exposure. I'm trying to get there. And I'm just kind of steering clear of the technology space and spectating. So I just want to see my ideas play out and keep looking for confirmations of them. And we haven't even gotten to talk about crypto yet. We haven't even, man. I'm happy for those guys. I'm happy for the hodlers. I might print that shirt up. You know, I, I genuinely am. I like to see people get trades right like that. I hope they learn to make a sale one day. But that's probably a, uh, a TG Tuesday for a whole nother time. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well you said, Tony Greer. Thanks again for joining us. Ash, it's great to be here with so much excitement for the year, man. I look forward to the next uh, 20-something sessions that we have. Absolutely. See you soon. Peace, my man. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.